0: Welcome to the Free Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, Please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Praise God. Amen. It's good to be back here. We're going to look together this evening at the book of Matthew, chapter 12. I want to begin to read verse number 43 and read down to 45 as I talk to you this evening about strongholds. Now, there's a a girl in my church who kind of got saved, I would say, probably about three, three and a half years ago. And she was actually in another city when, when she actually got saved, gave her heart to the Lord, and so she'd completed her university and come back. And so I noticed that she started acting a little bit funny and strangely. One of the brothers was telling me that they had a prayer meeting and A few of the brothers and sisters had come together, and they were praying. And all of a sudden, she started crawling on the carpet like a dog. They weren't really sure what was going on, but they kind of told me about it. And I talked to her. I said, hey, you know, what's, oh, yeah, Pastor, I just got emotional. So you need to, to stop that and begin to watch yourself. I noticed that every time you would start talking to her, she would look with a real serious look on her face, as though her whole life depended on it. You know, she could, you couldn't even have a normal conversation with her without her having these facial gestures. And you just wonder, what's going on in her mind? And I, her mother began to talk to me and say, Pastor, can you really talk to my daughter? I think she has no balance. And I would start telling her that she needs to loosen up a little bit. That she shouldn't be so serious about everything in the sense of if somebody says, oh, you know what? Uh, Jesus is alive. He's on the throne. And she'll be going like this. Like, yeah, man, listen, calm down. And she began to open up these doors in her life. I remember she had come to me and she told me how she was uh, praying with this lady from another church. this a church called Ruach. I don't know if you've ever heard of this church. But I said, Ruach people, man, you know, God bless their hearts, But, you know, you've got to be very careful who you join hands together with and begin to pray. She said every Tuesday afternoon, about 1, 1.30 in the afternoon, they would get together in a basement. They would hold hands together and they'd begin to pray. And they said as they're praying, this lady from Ruak would start shaking. And so she would begin to shake and they would start doing these crazy things. And she finally told me that one day she was in a fellowship and she had to move her car. She was blocking somebody. So she went down into her car and as she sat in the car, she felt God telling her she needed to pray. So she begins to pray and then she finally gets out of the car And she said that a voice spoke to her. Now, you got to be very careful about when you hear voices. And this voice tells her and says, listen, you know, I want to use you. Will you let me use you? So she answered the voice and said, yes, you can use me. And she said that the voice said to her, you know, you need to stop reading the Bible. Immediately I knew that spirit was not of God. She said that the voice said, open your mouth, and she opens her mouth. And as she opens her mouth, she said she literally felt something go down into her stomach. She finally came to me and said, Pastor, you've got to pray. You know, And I believe she probably got herself demon-possessed. I prayed for her. She uh, said that she felt delivered. I'm not really sure what took place. And This is over the course of like three, three and a half years. Every now and again, I'm having to address these issues in her life. So I was in Namibia in the month of March preaching revival for one of our new churches that we just planted and I got a phone call my wife is telling me that she had now been admitted into a mental institute and I, I, when I found out all the details when I'd gotten back my door director was the only one available at the time the, the mother called him and he turned up at the house and there he is trying to minister to this young lady she's beginning to freak out she is, I mean, using explicitly sexual words as she's talking about her relationship with Jesus, that Jesus was her boyfriend, and she's using all these uh, uh, th- words. I can't even repeat the stuff that she was saying. And I'm like, how in the world did she get like that? And I realized that she had opened up a door and allowed an entry. And I want to talk to you tonight about strongholds. Because God wants to break some strongholds this evening. I want you to look with me in the book of Matthew 12. Look there, verse 43. And the Bible says these words When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and findeth none. Then he said, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it also be unto this wicked generation. Lord, tonight we come... Boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We pray, God, that you pull down every stronghold of the enemy. God, that you destroy every yoke in Jesus' name. And by the blood of the Lamb, Father, we ask for your covering tonight. Move in this place, Father. Heal your people. Touch, we pray, in Jesus' name. God's people said amen. Now, here in this text is a story of a man who started out with one demon and he ends up with eight. He is delivered, no doubt, he has experienced salvation and conversion. And the Bible says that when the evil spirit came out, he walks about in dry places seeking rest and finding none, comes back, and he looks at this man that he had once dwelt in, and he says, I will go back and I'll get seven other demons more wicked than myself. And the scripture says he starts with one, and he ends up with eight demons. This is a reality this evening, how people get demon possessed and how people develop strongholds in their lives this is how people become like legion the bible says in the book of mark 5 and verse number 9 about this gadarean demoniac who had a legion of demons that when jesus spoke the word the demons came out for there were many i wonder how he got demon possessed I was talking to a preacher just the other day and he was telling me about a homeless unit that he and his church went to to minister to these homeless people. And he said in that place there were professional people, surgeons and doctors and lawyers that were now homeless. And he's wondering in his mind how in the world that people like this fall to such a low degree many of them were backsliders those who had known the lord and turned from the holy commandment that was delivered unto them and now opening the door and allowing satanic forces to re-enter see this is how the strong man gets in and binds the believer there's a man that was coming to our church many years back when i was a disciple his name was edward chambers Edward Chambers uh, was about probably 60, 65 years old. This man was found on the street. He was a vagrant wandering around. And and, and we were talking to him and trying to help him. And we finally realized that he had left his home and left his job because his wife had left him. This man was a university uh, professor. And now he's roaming the streets of London City. Here is a man who had opened up a door and despair had set in. He opened up a door and all kinds of mind conditions begin to get a hold on him. And the stronghold of the enemy was established in his life. Tonight, do not let the stronghold take over you. I want to just talk about three things quickly this evening. And I want to begin by speaking to you about the definition of a stronghold. Now, I know that that, that you have no doubt heard many sermons and many messages on strongholds. But I'm not going to go into any deep theological debate with anybody about what a stronghold is. A stronghold, I want to explain it in simple terminology. A sin is when you bind somebody with string one time. A stronghold is when you bind them time and time and time and time again. When you wrap them up, see, it's like committing sin over and over and over again. A repetitive act that you keep doing time and time and time again, it becomes a stronghold. Anything you repeat in your life for a period of time will take over your life. I was reading this book. Uh, It's full of illustrations and stories. The book is called Spiritual Stronghold. And in this book, it lists different strongholds. Let me read some of them to you. He talks about insecurity. Worry is a stronghold, unbelief, fear, despair, a wrong self-image, selfishness, apathy, pessimism, impatience, religious bondage, gluttony, laziness, greed, worldliness, addiction, jealousy, pride, lying, uncontrolled speech, Bitterness, rebellion, sexual immorality, a lack of self-control, rage, and they're writing these strongholds that have gripped the church of Jesus Christ. See, I'm not going to stand here before you tonight and pretend like God's people don't have things that trouble them from time to time. The strongholds of the enemy are very real. This girl that I'm talking about is now being pumped with drugs. When you see her walk into church, though she smiles, she responds to every altar call, she's there but you know she's not there. She kind of looks at you with a glaze in her eyes. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. Because she has opened up a door and they're trying to bring a remedy to her condition with drugs. I am going to tell you, strongholds, you will never combat a stronghold with pills and tablets. If you're going to deal with strongholds, you need something stronger than the strong man. You need Jesus to break in upon the enemy of your life. There is something that the Bible speaks about when the Bible talks of deliverance. Now, I want to kind of move into a few other things this evening and talk to you about how strongholds are established. Because I think uh, we, we need to have a little bit of understanding as to how these things get root in our lives. Number one is Satan is not a creator. He is a pervert and he is an opportunist. He is looking for every opportunity to step in and bind the people of God you've got three things here to think of Satan himself, the devil Beelzebub, he is the dragon he is seeking to slay the men of God and the women of the Lord, he is seeking to bind, but you have to understand the role of flesh because see flesh never gets saved, the day that you became a Christian was not the day that your flesh turned and surrendered over to God it was the day that your spirit was yielded up to the Lord, your flesh will always be an enemy of god there will always be a war going on inside the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh this is why the bible says the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak your flesh will never be strong your flesh will never be full of the holy ghost your flesh will never be sanctified your flesh will never be saved see the flesh is your enemy but however you have the will of man god has given you and i a will and he will never violate your will you understand that the devil will take the unsaved at his will he at his command they've got to bow if you're here and you are not a believer if you're here and you are not born again you are unsaved satan owns you hell controls you but if you are a believer there There is not a demon in the underworld that can bind you. There's not a witch with a hex that can curse you. For the Bible says that God has given you a free will. Amen. But the devil, in order for him to establish a stronghold, has got to get the cooperation of the Christian. So which means that you've got to exercise your will to do what Satan is tempting you to do. See, he's an opportunist. You remember the story of how Balak tried to get Balaam to curse the children of God? But he could not curse them. And so what Balaam did was he taught Balak to cast a stumbling block so that he could get the people of God to curse themselves. And there they begin to fall into fornication and sexual immorality, and the the, the enemy was able to bind them and plague them. See, that's the only route from which the devil can enter into the life of the believer and bring a stronghold is when we ourselves are active in our own bondage. Nobody can come and bind you. Nobody can come and make you become an alcoholic. No one can come and fill you with rage and anger. You have to open a door. See, I always wonder how do good people become like that? Because somewhere along the line, they opened the door. Did you know that Iraqi people, for many years, actually cooperated with the United States of America? They were working undercover and feeding them with intel and information. Till finally, America established a stronghold in Iraq. What the Bible calls a garrison. A garrison is a military post. And they now come in and they're causing trouble in Iraq. And please try to understand what I'm saying. The Philistines had a garrison in Israel. The Romans had a garrison in Israel. Because when the door has been opened, there's something that is established. And from there they begin to operate and cause all kind of chaotic. Oh my goodness, you're not hearing me here tonight. Satan is always looking for a weakness. Satan will scan the life of the believer. He starts doing a scan over your life, an in-depth scan. As you scan for viruses on your computer and you're doing a deep scan, Satan scans your life and looks for the smallest weakness that he can capitalize on. I remember when I discovered that I was flat-footed. I must have been about 25, 26 And so I went to the doctors because I was having uh, pain in my shins. Uh, And so uh, they they x-rayed my shins, uh, but they could not see anything. So finally they injected me with iodine and began to scan again and x-ray till finally they saw these hairline cracks uh, in my shin bones. uh, And they said, yeah, you've got stress fractures. Because they were scanning for it. Satan is constantly scanning your life. He scans you every day looking for something that he can latch on to and then he begins to present to you a temptation you know when the devil comes and knocks at your door how many here have you ever had the devil knock at your door now i know listen it's not a sin to be tempted it only becomes sin when you entertain it but when the devil knocks at your door when you open the door that's when the temptation begins and if you don't shut the door in time, he gets what we call a foothold. He puts his foot in the door, and no matter what you do, you can't shut the door. You try to push on the door, but it won't come He got a foothold. And if you're not careful from the foothold, he now begins to occupy a room in your house. And then it becomes a stronghold. And from a stronghold, it becomes a principality. And he takes over and begins to rule and dominate in your life. See, God will always give us enough time to shut the door. Oh, you missed a good place to say amen. See, when the door is open and you see the devil and his temptations, you've got enough time to shut that door and say, no, devil. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but as such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape, that you might be able to bear it. In other words, uh, God is so gracious uh, that when the door is opened, uh, he gives us a moment, a time uh, where we can shut the door, say no, I'm not looking at that. No, I'm not giving in to that. No, I'm not going to say those words. No, I'm not going to think those thoughts. No, I'm not going to go there. No, I won't do that. God gives us enough time to make a decision to shut the door on the enemy's face less a stronghold is attempted in your life.
1: of Chandler Conference, so please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.
0: Let me talk to you thoroughly about dismantling the strongholds, because it all comes down to how do we get rid of these strongholds. The first thing that you have to do is you have to identify the stronghold. That's easy enough. The problem with people that can't see their stronghold is a major deception. Where there's something operating in your life and you can't see it. One of the worst kinds of deceptions that people face is to have a problem and not know it. Say, can't you see what's wrong with you? No, I can't see it. And no matter how you try to show them, they just refuse to acknowledge. You know, that's the thing uh, that you understand about a mirror. When you look in a mirror, even a mirror doesn't show you everything. When you look in the mirror, you see your face, you see your front, but you can't see your side. You can't see your back. That's why you need something outside of yourself to show you who you are. The Bible says in the book of Judges 16, when Samson had his head on the lap of Delilah, the Bible says that he is now beginning to tell his secret to this woman. And finally he comes to the place uh, where he tells her they cut off his hair. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to go up against him just like other times. Uh, But the Bible says he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. God left him here he has a condition a stronghold is no doubt established in his life but he can't even discern it he can't see it he can't feel it see this is the reason why uh, it when somebody calls you something you don't need to take any notice of it but if five people tell you the same thing about yourself then you need to how many know you need to start listening? Amen. They said if one person calls you a donkey, take no notice. But if five do, go buy a saddle. And what he's trying to show us this evening is that when people start to point wrongs out in our lives, we need to stop and check. See, the way that you can identify strongholds in your life, number one, is through preaching. But you come to church and you hear the preaching of the word of God, People get mad at the preacher many times. The preacher stands uh, and begins to unveil and unfold and reveal the word of God. In the book of Hebrews uh, 4.12, he says the word of God is powerful. It is quick. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts through your soul and spirit and discerns your thoughts uh, and your intents. And he's showing us that the word of God has a way of getting underneath the surface and showing us who we really are. You need to have the Holy Ghost, for the Holy Ghost will bring to your mind things. He will begin to convict us of what's not right. How many know? Sometimes you don't even have to hear preaching. The Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, and you just know, my God, I should not be doing that. I should not be going there. I shouldn't be thinking that. I shouldn't be saying. How many understand what I'm talking about? Now, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I remember the 15th of April, 1988, three o'clock in the afternoon was when I bowed my knee to Jesus. There were Many things I had never heard preached on, but I just knew that I knew that I knew that I knew they were not right. Say, Peter, this is who you are. This is who God has made you to be. You've got to stop that now. I might not even not know the reason why, but I just knew God was able to show me through the Holy Ghost. See, not only do we need the Holy Ghost, but we need each other. See, this is why we're here, to be able to point out to one another things that we see, compromises, uh, and say, hey, listen, Deal with issues in your life, but you know, you know, you know, you know. People get upset. They get. They. It it amazes me. Just last week, a a brother in our church came up to me. He said that you know he started dating some girl that goes to another church, not even in our fellowship. You know, now I'm trying to talk to him, and I don't know this girl and whatever. So I I I I met with him, and I, I told him last week. I said, listen. Uh, because he had come to me with another brother in church and said, you know, uh, they're going to Paris. It's his birthday. Apparently a couple days ago was his birthday, and this girl is taking him to Paris uh, for the day. They're not going to stay the night, but they're just going to go for the day and come back. I said, man, what are you doing? I said, you know, you can't do that. He said, oh, I don't see anything wrong with it, Pastor. I said, come on. So I start showing him what's wrong about it. I start telling him about the exampleship. I start telling him about the question marks that it puts in the minds of his brethren. I start telling him about, you know, Paris is romantic, uh, and you're opening yourself up. Up to temptation, all kinds. So I start giving him all the reasons, but still he couldn't see it. So I told him, I said, Go and choose out seven men of God in church and ask them, and they'll tell you exactly what I've told you. So he goes around the church and he finds the lukewarm men, the men with no convictions. He asked them and they saw nothing wrong with oh my goodness, here today. Now you know that you're in trouble. When your brethren can't tell you the truth. You need your spouse to tell you. Because I don't know if your spouse is closer to you than anybody else. Your spouse sees things that nobody sees. Your spouse sees things that your pastor didn't see. Your spouse sees you in a way that nobody else sees you. And sometimes your spouse will point things out and say, hey, sweetheart. Hey, honey. And if you're not careful, you will miss God. The church said Amen. The second thing we have to do is take action. You're not gonna sit around waiting for something to happen and expect that you're gonna be delivered. See, you have to acknowledge the stronghold in your life, then you gotta rise up and take action. See, the indictment against the man in Matthew 25 that buried his talent in the ground was the fact that he did nothing. Here is a problem. God expects us to rise up and take action. The Bible tells us about how the Amalekites, they went to Ziklag, they took all of David's wives and everybody, the livestock, and they took them away captive. And when David comes back with his soldiers, everybody begins to weep. They thought about stoning David, but the Bible says David did a number of things. Number one, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He said, you know what, this, it, it, I, I've seen bad days, but you know, weeping endures for a night joy certainly comes in the morning and he encouraged himself in the Lord. I won't settle for this. I'm not going to allow depression to set in. The second thing he did was he prayed. He said, God, shall I go after them? And God said, go. Then he rose up the third thing and he got 600 men strong and went these armies and destroy them and got back everything that was taken from him. Because if you are going to break a stronghold, you have got to take action there's no point in sitting around waiting for something to happen you don't even know what it is that you're waiting for some are waiting for a word from a preacher some are waiting for the evangelist with his oil but let me tell you you've got to rise up and take action say i will not allow this in my life no more i've been a slave too long this has controlled me for far too long and you've got to to rise up and take action. Got a girl in my church right now. She, she, she has the same problem over and over and over and over and over again. When she was 12 years old, she was having an affair with a guy who was 27 years old. He was sleeping with her, committing sodomy, all kinds of unclean things. The man actually killed her mother then you know here she is uh, she gets pregnant at the age of 12 She's having she she had 12 abortions from the age of 12 right up until the age of 22 she's in church now you know my wife and I have tried to minister to her the guy just died of AIDS in March and so here she is uh, she's tormented in her mind she believes uh, that God should have punished her for all the evil that she had done she said there's no doubt I must be HIV positive so she would go to the hospital they would test her and say no no you it's negative you you're okay you're free to go And she would come back, and she would have the result. But then three months later, she goes back for another test. Another two months, she goes back. Another week, she's back. And she's having tests constantly because she just cannot believe that she's been healed and delivered. But here's this young girl, tormented in her mind. Every time she comes to me, it's the same thing. Pastor, do you think I'm HIV positive? I'll say, no, sweetheart, you're not HIV positive. What did the paper say? Well, it says that I'm I'm negative. I said, well, then you're negative then. Uh, And then she'll come back uh, three weeks later. Pastor, you know, but I just think uh, I'm I'm HIV positive. Uh, What do you think? Uh, Will you go with me to the hospital? Uh, And maybe if you're there and and, and you can see the result and you can tell me and show me right there, then maybe that will help me. I said, I'm not going with you. I said, because it's not going to do you any good. You've got to rise up and take action. You've got to take dominion in your mind. You've got to fill yourself with the word of God. You have got to rise and take action. Until this day, she's still bound because she refuses to take action. There are people that sit in church for years, years. They never change. We got this one guy that comes to church. He's a matter of fact, he used to follow up on me. He comes to church, and you go, what's wrong with this man? He's unmarried. He will never marry. He has a beard like a leprechaun. He walks around the church, and you wonder, when will he ever change? He has never risen up. To take action over the strongholds in his mind. The third thing that you have to do is you gotta close the door. You gotta close the door and burn all the bridges. You know, if you if you're injecting yourself with poison, you're gonna be sick. So if the doctors, if you're injecting yourself with poison in one leg and the doctor's injecting you with medicine in the other leg, how many of you said I can be well? See, in order for you to be well and in order for you to recover, you have to stop the flow you got to stop injecting yourself with poison. You have to shut the door. See, when Nehemiah went back into Jerusalem to rebuild after the Babylonian captivity, the first thing that the Bible says that Nehemiah did was that he repaired the gates and he repaired the doors. He repaired all of the entry points because he understood something. If you're going to gain victory over every stronghold or potential stronghold, you've got to deal with the entry points. So, which means sometimes people have to change their telephone number. (laughs) Which means sometimes you got to change your email address. Sometimes you got to move away from where you were living. Sometimes you got to change your job. Sometimes you got to give things up. You got to shut the door. Jesus said, if your eye offends, you pluck it out. If your hand or your foot, cut them off. Because there's certain things that have to be shut. They've got to be closed down, sealed. You can't keep repeating things and allowing the door to be open. This is why I tell people, people who are are, are having issues in their heart uh, with rebellion, etc., is that they've never shut the door to rebels. Rebels are always able to call them. Anytime something's going going on, the rebel can always call them. See, yeah, so you allow them to affect you because you haven't judged it. You haven't shut the door. And now you're freaking out crazy. You can't receive from God in church, and you're wondering why. You think the problem is with the church. You think the problem is with the preacher. You think the problem is with the fellowship. But the problem is with you because you would not shut the door. You got to close the door. Let's go back into the text quickly because I want to close. The Bible says that the the, the Spirit comes back and finds this man empty, swept, and garnished. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Empty means the junk that was there is no longer there. That's a good thing. Swept means now it's clean. Garnished means everything is now set in order. What a pretty picture! But I'm going to tell you tonight, that is not enough to deter the enemy. See, when the enemy comes back and he sees it empty, swept, and garnished, that's not something that's going to be a deterrent to him. Kind of like how you have alarm systems as a deterrent for burglars. You have all kinds of things that, that you know, when if, you, if you're if you here and you're a farmer, you put scarecrows up uh, to scare the birds away. But listen, uh, uh, these things here do not deter the enemy from coming back. When he comes back, oh, it's empty. Oh, it's swept. Oh, everything's arranged in order. The life is now in order. Now you wear a suit, a shirt, and tie. Now you carry a Bible, and you come to church, and you go to work, and, and people look at you from the outside. Everything looks good from the outside. You look great but the enemy comes back and says ah I'm coming back in here he says I will return into my house what audacity in your house what that tells me tonight is that there has to be a change of ownership the enemy cannot come back and say I'm going to re-enter my house The house that's now been swept, it's empty, it's garnished, and he says, I'm going back to my house. He cannot lay claim on what Jesus owns. And when he comes back, when he finds that the ownership and the title deeds belong to Jesus, then he's got to fall backwards. But for some Christians today, they still have not given the title deeds to Jesus. And the thing is, Satan will return. And when he returns, the ownership better be changed. And Jesus better be Lord. Otherwise, he will re-enter. Have you ever wondered why Christians begin good? And they come in and all of a sudden, they start getting funky over the years. And they start getting worse than they were before. And it's like, how in the world did you go from that to this? See the reasons because ownership was never really handed over to Jesus. In Luke four thirteen, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness the Bible says that when the devil had ended all the temptation he departed from him for a season. This season he had left Jesus. See Satan will go for a season but he will come back. He came back in Matthew 16 when Jesus had to rebuke Peter and said get behind me Satan. We know he was resisting when he was in the garden. Nevertheless not my will but thine. You can hear the satanic voices whispering to him. No doubt when he was on the cross. Jesus is hanging in there and people are mocking him. They are shaking their head and wagging their head saying oh he saved others but himself he cannot save. Come down from the cross now and we will believe you. How many know the devil must have been whispering to him right there. If it were you or I, we would step off the cross and prove to the world that we're Jesus. Then we'd jump back up again just to prove a point. But Jesus had to resist he had to stand firm on what he believed and Satan will always come back if you're here tonight and you feel that the moment you give your life to Jesus uh, that that you will never have to deal with the devil again you're in the wrong place a guy came into our church uh, years ago when we were pastoring in Bristol he comes in and uh, he's in every service he's committed he's faithful he's given over and he says pastor I want to be baptized. I can't wait to be baptized. So I'm booking the next baptism. He couldn't wait to jump in the water. That day he came to church. He didn't, didn't even know that there was a baptism that day. He came in his clothes. He got baptized and went home wet. And so all of a sudden I didn't see him anymore. So I called him and said, hey, what's, what's up? He's a little pastor. He said, I'm not coming back to church anymore. I said, why? He said, because I thought that after being baptized, All my troubles, all the temptations, everything that the enemy was doing against my life, uh, that it would end. I want to tell you that the day you gave your heart to Jesus uh, was the day you stepped on to a battleground that was the day you became a target and that was the day god loaded you with guns and said you got to fight back see you're called to be a soldier you're called to be a warrior you're called to conquest and the bible says that there's no weapon that's formed against you that shall be able to prosper see god has given you the ability to fight back so the bible says that the devil left him for a season to come back And you had better fill yourself with Jesus before Satan returns. You better fill yourself with the Holy Ghost. You better start filling yourself with the things of God. For this man was empty, swept, and garnished. Outwardly, he looked like he had it all together. He's now in order. He has everything going on. You know, he's coming to church. He's got gum in his mouth. Uh, He's got his Bible. Uh, He's looking good. And people look at him, oh, wow, a disciple. But listen, he's nothing but empty, swept, and garnished till he fills himself with Jesus. And when the devil comes back, he is trying to re-enter. In Mark 1.13, the Bible says, And he was there in the wilderness, 40 days tempted of Satan. And when he uh, he was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. I like that. When the enemy left him for a season, the angels of the Lord came and ministered to Jesus. This is a picture of God's divine mercy and favor on the life of the believer. See, the season when the enemy leaves you is a season where God gives you time to rest, time to recuperate, time to recover yourself. This is the time when you come up for air and you're able to fill your lungs with oxygen again and go back down to battle. See, the season that God gives you is not the time for you to be fooling around and skylocking with the devil. See, the season of grace that God gives us is a time when we ought to fill our reservoir. The time when we need to fortify the walls and shut every entry point. See, the season is a time where God can strengthen us. Listen to what I'm saying tonight. I want to close. Boxing match. How many like boxing? Yeah, three people. Okay. Do you know when boxing it's three minutes for each round? And you get one minute of rest. In that one minute of rest, your opponent cannot come over and start clobbering you in your corner. Because it's your time of recovery. And recuperation. Likewise, God gives us that time where you sit in the corner. You are resting from battle. It's a season where you can strengthen yourself. And at that point, three things take place. You have uh, the, the 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 trainer that comes up in your corner and starts whispering in your ears, speaking words of encouragement. Say, Come on, boy, you can do it. Get back in there. You remember, give him a left uppercut hook, and he starts to encourage you. Say, come on, I've seen his weakness. When he drops his left, you need to jab him. And he begins to tell you what to do, pointing out uh, the areas of weakness in your opponent. uh, And he's whispering words of encouragement. Thank God for preachers. Thank God. God for the pastor that when we come into church and we're weary but it's a time of recovery Sunday morning Sunday night oh God we're about to face the weak again and we hear a word that strengthens us a word that kind of encourages us and gears us up said I've got to get back out there and face the enemy eyeball to eyeball and when he begins to speak these words something happens to the boxer then he takes a a sponge with water and starts to put it on his face uh, and his chest and shoulders uh, he is trying to refresh him just like the holy ghost uh, refreshes us uh, when we come into the shekinah presence of god uh, and the spirit of the lord is present to heal and to touch uh, and redeem and restore and the bible tells us that the holy ghost is just that, when you step in, how many come in here any time before where you just felt weary? You felt like throwing in the towel. You felt like giving up. But something got a hold on you. Something started to burn in your bones. And you rose up and stood up like a mighty army. So I'm ready to take the devil. Oh, my God. Something. It's a refreshing presence of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that you find are the crowds of people that are cheering you. Come on, you can do it. Come on, they start to call your name. Just like they will call out to a boxer's name. And there's something that ignites in him. Says the whole world is behind me. Listen, the Bible says that we're encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. The holy celestial angels of God. The saints that have gone before us. All of the heavenly hosts and the church of Jesus saying come on you can do it lift up your head young man young woman arise and enter into battle and there's something that happens to the believer when you know people are on your side these three things take place in this time of recovery that's what what God does he gives you that season to recover yourself so that you can make the best Of those moments. And that's what I want to say to you tonight. Your season is coming. Some of you, perhaps, you're already doing all these things to break strongholds in your life, and you've come to that period of rest where you feel like hell has lifted its hand. That's not the time to sit down and relax. That's the time to strengthen yourself and fortify yourself and build some content and substance into your life. That's the time when you need to be more in church. The time when you need to be in conferences and need to be in revival meetings and and get involved in the Sunday school classes and fill yourself. I, I, I wish somebody could just understand what I'm saying tonight. It's the time when you need to take advantage of every opportunity that you have to fill yourself with God. And you will find yourself stronger the next time you enter into battle. Now, church, I'm not trying to discourage people here tonight. I'm trying to encourage you. Oh, pastor, you're trying to say that, that you know, after all that warring and fighting, that we're going to enter back into that again after a period of rest. It's going to happen till Jesus comes back. But one day when we see his face, our battles will be over. We will war no more. Tears will be dried. Sicknesses will be healed. Temptations will be stopped. And no more will we have to face the enemy. I want you to bow your heads with me here tonight. Let's pray together.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.